0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God.
1: Today we're going to be in Luke 7 verses 36 through 50 and the last time we went through the parables I went through a few parables at the end of Matthew 13 and the title was the relational God and if you maybe come from a a background of agnostics or atheism or even just kinda religion where they didn't discuss relationship um, last parable you're in for a treat just shows how precious you are to God on an individual basis in addition to in an aggregate sense of the church and we get to see and some people like really God wants a relationship with me so you know if you didn't get it you'd be blessed to pick it up for free on the podcast or the website and today we're going to look at the parable of the two debtors as we've been going through the parables on Sunday mornings and this one is really neat you know it's about second chances it's about forgiveness it's about repentance it's about love it's about compassion and in some respects it's about others judging another who God has already forgiven and they're still holding a stigma attached to them so this stuff is real 2000 years ago today uh, it's it's real it happens every day and uh, I I the truth is that as I was going through this parable I could make 100 points, I could make 150 points. (laughs) So I actually, this was a challenge of containing myself and just trying to stick to the main part and not go all over the place. So hopefully you can critique me at the end and let me know if I did a good job. Uh, But we're going to look at this in in four parts, uh, and I'll express each part as we go through it. So if I could jump in, in 736, it said, Then one of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying in his mind, saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who was touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, teacher, say it. There was a creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. I want to give you a little context before we jump into the body of this, and if we could put up Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, I've seen different versions of what they call the chronological Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Ephesians, you know, these are all written by different people in their purview, in their, um, you know, sphere of, of Christ's influence. And they wrote autonomously, probably never having, would even dream that their works would be con- in the Bible, but in the chronological Bible, it actually takes all the different books and puts them in order, as if because in, in our minds we we you know we we live in linear time. I know for me it's easier to look at things chronological: what happened first, what happened next, what happened next. So in the chronological Bible is Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, which is a very powerful scripture, I remember when I taught on it, five people came forward to receive the Lord, and for our size church, that was amazing. And Jesus says, so this is the precursor, this is the context. He's preaching to the crowds, and he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. No doubt that when he was preaching, this woman heard this, this immoral woman who shows up at you know, the party crasher, as, as I like to call her. Uh, and that's the first part of the four, is the party crasher. Basically, Jesus is, was always being invited to somebody's house. You know, people were fascinated by the Lord. Some had good motives, some didn't. Sinners would often invite him because they did want to change their life, and he would go, and he would get criticized for that. But he also went to the house of the legalistic and the uh, the religious people, too, and that's what's happening here. Simon the Pharisee. Now, if you understand the Pharisee sect, they basically were very religious. They wore robes. They, in many ways, put on a show. They would stand on corners and pray, and you knew they were fasting because they'd contort their faces... Oh, wow, that man must be, must be fasting today. And Jesus criticized them. Now, you can't paint with a broad brush. Some of them were good, and some of them were very loyal to the Lord. Uh, but others were, you know, man, men are weird, men and women. You know, they just they clamor for attention. And even in Christianity, and we talked about the wheat and the tares, some also clamor for attention, but Jesus would go anywhere just to express the kingdom of heaven and salvation to anybody who would listen. So he goes to Simon's house. I don't think, in my opinion, that Simon's motives were genuine, based on everything, the totality of Scripture. Things get awkward, though. They're hanging out, they're talking, probably talking about Scripture, and back in those days, there would be a lot of Q&As, and this is how people learned. They would ask questions of the teacher, the teacher would answer based on his understanding of it, then there might be follow-up questions, and all of a sudden, this woman shows up. Now, if you understand, back then, the open banquets, you know, today we all, you know, a lot of people, Americans, we have our, our lawns, and we have our fences, <laughs> and if somebody comes in your yard, it's suspicious. Right? You might call the police, but back then, they, had, they didn't really have many fences and things like that, People just came and went while these open-air banquets would be taking place. And society did dictate, though, if you didn't belong there and you weren't invited, you you shouldn't probably come all the way inside. Maybe you could watch from a distance and see what was going on, you know, in in the religious circles, the who's who, who's, who's here, what's going on. So there definitely were onlookers. And you could almost imagine everybody stops talking when this woman comes in because everybody knew her. She had a reputation. You know, back then, if they had the camera phones, everybody would be shooting videos. You know, today we love, uh, not me, but society loves social failure. And when you see something today that's a social failure, immediately the the phones come on, and they start taking videos and uploading them to Facebook or YouTube. So, I'm I'm trying to take you back 2,000 years. I'm trying to bring you back, and I'm trying to mix the cultures a little bit, so that we can understand the setting a little bit more. No doubt. There were whisperers. You know, some went to, did did you just see who walked in? Oh, she's getting closer. Can you, I know she wasn't invited. This is gonna get good. The whisperers came out, no doubt. What do we know about this unnamed woman? Well, the first thing we know about her is she was a sinner. Shocker. Aren't we all? (laughs) You know? And this is the first step towards enlightenment, for us to know that we're sinners. I actually feel sorry for the ones even today that have this arrogant attitude that don't think that that they think they're just going to waltz up when they die to the pearly gates and God's just going to let them in. We're all sinners, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And apparently, she stood out to everybody. And Simon, unfortunately, religious person, right? He was so focused on her sinful reputation that what he missed was his own sin of pride and self righteousness. You know, even in church organizations today, and I speak about this on an aggregate level, there's acceptable judging and unacceptable judging. And I'm going to tell you this that society's acceptable and un- unacceptable is not what God thinks. You know, in the realm of Christianity, you could be prideful, you could be narcissistic, you could be. Um, and people will say, "Well, hey, you know that person's a go-getter, and they're, um, you know, just trying to make the American dream." But then there's a other list of sins. See, God hates pride, by the way, and sometimes we forget that. Then there's a other list of sins that maybe some in the church find unacceptable. What's changed in two thousand years? But I love this about Jesus: is he always turns society's moors on their on their ear, and he's going to do that with this as well. So, the first thing was she was a sinner. Two, she must have been desperate. She had to know, you know, put yourself in her shoes, put yourself in her psyche, in her mind. She had to know that she wasn't going to be welcome at the venue. You know what's amazing? She was emotional, she was crying, she was probably humiliated by her reputation. Everybody knew, but she was a mess. But you know what, she knew she wanted Jesus. She knew she needed Jesus so she suffered the the you know the humiliation being a pariah to come to jesus the venue wasn't good but jesus was awesome and you know what her heart was in the right place jesus lauds this woman and you know what we're smart too and another step of enlightenment in addition to the fact that we know that we're sinners is that we know that we need a savior What she did was was wonderful Three, she takes this, if we could put up the image, this alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and she starts anointing the Lord's feet with it. A little bit about this. Um, These are actually actual archaeological finds. You see this alabaster, if you get the right cut of it, is actually very beautiful. Uh, You see it had a long neck and a hole here. And Especially women, if they had this, it was very expensive. Uh, it could have been their retirement, it could have been their 401k, so to speak. You know, a lot of the safety nets that we have today, they didn't have back then. could have been inherited, but it would be filled with a, usually a fragrant or expensive oil or spice, and this was where the cord would go around, and the women would wear it around their neck and maybe under their clothing, because it was very expensive, and they wanted to keep it close to them. And then, as you can see in this one, this is an actual find. It had a long, skinny neck, and if there was a a really great occasion to use it, they would break it on a stone, and then the oil would flow out. Now, others would use some of it and maybe put a little bit of wax on the top as the cork to just keep it and use it sparingly. (sighs) Let me just speak about some possibilities in this situation Uh, and i'm going to use my conjecture so the scripture whatever the scripture says is undebatable it's set in stone what i say is just conjecture so i'm going to throw out my opinion maybe this woman i don't know maybe her parents died early and maybe this was all she had to her name maybe this was her inheritance Maybe, well, we know she had a reputation. And if you really read the Bible, and if you go back into that culture, when it's being expressed by that, it probably was a form of prostitution or some sort of sexual immorality. So this woman, maybe she thought, maybe she was alone. Maybe she thought, I gotta do what I gotta do to survive. You know what's amazing about the Lord, and I try to think like He does, which it's actually a smart thing to do, Jesus said that our sins would keep us from heaven. Jesus said that sin was evil. It was rebellion against God. But Jesus also had compassion on the sinner. Isn't that amazing? How he's able to split that up? To a God is such a loving God, but he also can't tolerate sin. And that's why he sent a Savior into the world. And, and you see this, and, and I see this, you know, a person sins once, or they do something, or they start stealing, and, and their adrenaline is racing, and then they do it again, or whatever the sin is. And then before you know it, it becomes a lifestyle. And they think to themselves, let me just do this for a little while. And then it becomes, their conscience becomes seared. So a person who's deep into sin, sometimes it's like quicksand. But this woman heard the preaching, and something clicked in her heart, in her spirit, and she comes to Jesus. Maybe she thought, well, I, this is my lifestyle right now, this is how I have to survive. And eventually, I'll rely on on the oil and the flask. And then she sees Jesus, and what does she do? She dumps her retirement on his feet, the most uncomely part of the body. But she knew that he was more than a man. She knew he could save her from her sins. But what does society think? And I say this to Christians today, who cares what society thinks? And it's really sad that Christians can get caught up in this nonsense. They're brainwashed by the media, they're brainwashed by social media. That's why we need to read the Bible, because it's a reality check. Christianity is not a... It's a way of life, it's a lifestyle, you know? So, here you have this situation that they probably looked at her as, well, she's immoral, now she's pathetic, and she's crashing this party, and now she's profligate, she's wasteful. What, what type of person breaks the neck of this and, and pours all that expensive ointment or oil on the Lord's, on anybody's feet? But Jesus saw her different, right? He saw her different. He saw her heart, and he lauds this woman, and she changes direction. And honestly, so, so let me just say this. Jesus is... is applauding what she did in that her heart was in the right place. She appreciated him. She wanted him. She wanted her sins forgiven. She knew that he was the only way. She didn't go to Simon and do it. She went to Jesus. And, and let's, let's, not, let's understand the Bible in context. It doesn't mean that when you want to show devotion to God, you somehow find something that represents his feet and pour oil on it. Remember, this woman's not a theologian. She's a baby Christian. And what is Jesus doing? He's meeting her where she's at. No doubt everybody was uncomfortable. No doubt nobody said anything except for whispers. He just lets it happen because he's meeting her where she's at. I remember as a new believer, I've been a Christian now right around 25 years. I still did things, I still said things, I still participated in like rites and rituals that I thought was. And as I read the Bible more, I'm like, oh, I don't need to do that anymore. What am I doing? But as a new believer, we're awkward. That's why they call it being a baby Christian. You ever see a baby try to walk with those big heads? You know, and they're falling over and bouncing into stuff. When we're a baby Christian, we're awkward spiritually. And this is where this woman was. I'm so glad that Jesus is patient. And I'm so glad he's patient with me. You know, I think we run the risk and and i 've seen this in ministries, and i 've seen this in you know sometimes young pastors is that they 're they 're on such a quest for knowledge and intelligence they want to wow the audience they want their sermons to be picked up on the radio or you know some big organization that they forget the childlikeness of being a believer and I think we run the risk because some do, and they did back then with this woman. I think we run the risk that when we get too pu- puffed up with knowledge, not to say that we shouldn't know the Scripture, we should all know our Bibles. When we get too puffed up, we end up becoming like a Simon. And then we see something like this today, and we have an attitude towards it. You know? And, And it's not a good thing. Now, if you look at the, and I did a little search, the NKJV, New King James Version, says SAT the ESV, the NIV, and other versions say reclined. And the Bible gives so many details that some who don't know the scripture or they're not familiar with the, the, the translation or the times will say ha, an apparent Bible discrepancy. So if Jesus was sitting, how did she stand behind him and anoint his feet? Even if she was crouching down, doesn't make any sense. The ESV, the NIV have reclined because that's what they did. Sometimes Bible translators use an anachronistic translation. It's, it's legitimate, but it really was a subtle difference between sitting and reclining. And the way they would recline, and watch this, it makes more sense. Brought my pillow. <laughs> the way they would recline is they would get down usually if they were right-handed and kinda, for us it's a little awkward, but if it, if you, if you're, you can stand if you wanna see this. You know, they kind of put a pillow under them and, you know, give a little cushion and they would dip with their hands and they would talk. And so this woman comes up behind Jesus, makes perfect sense now. And she starts to wash his feet, and anoint them, And this is what's going on. Makes perfect sense, right? <laughs> People were, I walked in with a pillow. Nicole started laughing as she was doing worship. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> what is Pastor Joe going to do today? <laughs> but you can almost see the, the different pictures, the characters and what they did. Jesus was patient, loving. Simon was mortified. He, she probably interrupted one of his expositions on Leviticus 17 or something. You know what I'm saying? The onlookers were probably, you know, not doing the right thing. And the woman probably had a lot of anxiety. I could almost see her, she's got long hair, and back in those days, that was, that was a cultural thing. The woman's long hair was you know, a sign of her beauty. That's another thing. She took her hair, and she starts doing this with her hair. She's pouring the oil, and she's weeping. And she's, his feet are getting wet with her tears in the oil, and the fragrance probably uh, fills the room. And this is what's going on. And this is all she knows how to do to show her devotion to him. You know what breaks my heart? And I've seen this. And I've seen it here. A person comes, they, get, they come up to receive the Lord, and then the devil gets a hold of them. They go home, they go back with their peer group. And I've seen this on so many occasions, I can't tell you. And the person, I've had uh, people that have come to receive the Lord, and they start telling their groups and such. And uh, I've gotten letters and emails from nasty people who said, you don't want that person in your church. Do you know what type of person that is? It's so funny, like Simon the Pharisee. Like, you're the pastor. Kick this person out of your church. Believe, yeah, I've had that uh, a few times. And I have to assure the person, you're a new creature in Christ. Don't let that win over. And it breaks my heart, because I find out either directly, or I see a person, or I find out that they left the church because they're afraid that we're going to find something out about them. Maybe like this woman. Well, that's not the type of church we are. If you don't know the Lord and you come up to receive the Lord, I'm going to back you. You know what I'm saying? Um, you're you're a new creature, and it's going to take a while for that palette for the Lord to start painting and sculpting and doing things on that palette. You know what I'm saying? I just want to encourage you with that. I see things from this level that are said that not everybody sees. Verse 39. He says, Simon says that if Jesus was a prophet. If he were really—and he says it in his mind, he doesn't say it out loud—if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. You get the impression that if she went near to Simon and went to touch him, he would have had her thrown out of the place if it wouldn't have made him look bad. In her heart was humility and repentance, in Simon's heart was an air of superiority and self-righteousness. And you know who was justified. She was, not Simon. The crowd probably thought this, you know, whatever adjective they would use at the time, how could she crash Simon? He's such an upright person. But the Lord saw something very differently than society saw it. I have to laugh too when you read the scripture and someone's speaking within themselves and Jesus answers them openly. (laughs) That should be your first clue that he's not just the man. You know, I just thought of something and he responds to my thought, you know, wow. So we continue, verse 40, I'll read this again, the parable of the two debtors. And Jesus, and this is beautiful because you can use this today. When someone's hard-hearted, you could say to them, you know what, you're hard-hearted, that's not right, you know, why don't you show a little compassion and they just blow you off. So what Jesus did was he would tell the story. That's what the parables were. And he would pull people into the story and ask them questions about these two people that were figurative characters, right? And this is what he does to Simon. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? So two out of four is the parable. This story of a creditor and these two guys owe money. And the first guy owes 50 denarii. A denarii was a day's wage. And the other owed a lot more. He owed 500 denarii. And this would have been the difference between somebody owing two and a half months of pay and somebody owing between two and and three years of pay. That's big. Think about your own life. You know, I mean, could you... uh, If you owed somebody two and a half months of pay, oh, that's a tough one, but I could work some overtime, blah, blah, blah. I owe somebody two to three years of my pay. That's tremendous in that culture. So what does Jesus do? He talks about this creditor who forgives both men. But what does it say? The, The story says they didn't have the ability to pay. You know what's amazing? That's a picture of the gospel, isn't it? Me, you, you, everybody in this room. We have fallen short of the glory of God because we've sinned. Some of us owe 50, some of us owe 500, some of us owe 5 million. And what did Jesus do as the creditor? It's all taken care of. Now, does somebody have to pay for that? Sure. Somebody, You owe somebody money. Well, you got, they, got it, they need that money. They're counting on you get, giving that money back. You know, bank gives you a mortgage. They expect over so many years, you start paying up that mortgage. Who paid for our sins to be forgiven? Jesus Christ at the cross. So he's the creditor. (laughs) Wow. It's good stuff here. Verse 42, there's a a key fact, a key piece here is that, again, nobody could get into heaven on their own merits. And again, I love the fact that Jesus draws uh, Simon into the parable. And he would often do this And the person who was challenging Jesus would be drawn, I believe if I was there, they would be drawn into this parable reluctantly, but the Lord asked them a question and he answered, I suppose the one who forgave more. Well, the woman knew that she was the 500. She knew it. And she appreciated what the Lord had done. Simon probably thought he was one, if anything. He probably thought, I I can't know much, I'm a religious guy. You know, I, I do things for the Lord. And, but check this out. Check this out. If I, let's say I'm a really, really bad sinner, and I miss heaven by a light year, you know, the distance that light travels in a year, it's a long distance. And Corey over here, he's a really nice guy, I know him. He missed heaven by a millimeter. Well, guess what? We both missed heaven. Guess what? We're going to be spending eternity not in heaven. So whether it's a millimeter or a light year, everyone in this room, it really doesn't matter. You know? And I gotta tell you something. I'm just gonna say, for argument's sake, I'm the 500 guy. And, and, and I appreciate the Lord because I know that I missed heaven because I'm a sinner. You know, it's amazing. The irony in another you know, scripture, Jesus talks to the religious leaders and he's saying how the thieves and the prostitutes and the lawbreakers were getting into heaven before the religious men. Now, I got to tell you, if there were some in this audience who were deeply steeped in religion, they might be offended by this. I didn't make up the parable. <laughs> the Lord did. And, and whether it was in his day or today, you still have that type of attitude, that self righteous, haughty, you know, and, and it is what it is. Verse 43, we continue. Simon answers him. He says, I suppose the one whom he forgave more, and he said to him, You have rightly judged. You know, it's interesting. He wrongly judged this woman. But he rightly judged in the parable. And his two judgments were incongruous. They weren't, they weren't equal. And he didn't even realize he was doing this. He continues. Then he turned to, this, to the woman and said, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, Simon. You gave me no water from my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Jesus concedes the point to Simon that she had a lot of sins. He concedes that. But it doesn't matter. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. So three out of four is the lesson. The lesson. And and check it out. You know, in those days, they had like kind of open-toed, primitive type of sandals back then. And they would walk through that Middle Eastern area. And there wasn't concrete sidewalks. There were some actually Roman roads that had stones on them. But for the most part, you know, there was no asphalt. There was no concrete sidewalks. And you would walk through. It was hot. You were sweating. It was dusty. And your feet picked up. Listen, the animals traveled on the same road that you did So, animal dung, animal droppings. And by the time you went to a a person's house to to visit, to have some dinner or whatever, your feet were dirty. (laughs) I'm trying to think of a word here. Dirty, smelly, animal droppings, you know. And what your guest was supposed to do, if they hopefully really loved you, when you came into their house, either they or they would have somebody just do a quick foot wash. You take the sand, and it's so refreshing. And I've been out and working out, out in the yard and got myself real dirty. It's so nice to take a shower. But they would, they would wash your feet, it just was soothing, it was comforting, get all the grime off the feet. Simon, he didn't do anything. But the woman washes her feet, washes his feet with her tears. And check this out like I said before, the, the woman's long hair was a sign of her beauty. And she's taking her hair and washing the feet of the Lord that Simon didn't wash. And in her most beautiful part of her body was, was getting oil and tears and sweat and smell and dirt. And probably when she was done, this is just me, I, I try to put myself in, her hair was matted, dirty and smelly. But you know what? It didn't matter to her. She, she, this, is, this is my way of showing my appreciation and my devotion to the Lord. He said, Simon, you, you didn't kiss me. You know, in Italy and in, in Middle Eastern countries a lot, you know, people are not so big into their personal spaces like our culture is. And, you, and people still do it today. You know, even Apostle Paul said, greet everyone with a holy kiss. In the church, you know, they would kiss, kiss one cheek, the other cheek. Um, you would come to somebody's house, they would kiss you. And Simon didn't do that for the Lord. But the woman hasn't stopped kissing his feet. Some people today, I got to tell you, um, it's funny, we have these conversations when we go through this part of scripture. Some people have this, this aversion to feet, like, oh, feet, feet, you know, and, and this woman, it's not even an issue. He said to Simon, the third thing that he failed to do, he had om- omissive of sins, right? He, he didn't do certain things that he shouldn't have done. The third thing was when you would come in off the road and you would come into somebody's house. You know, the sun would be beating down, and they, they would wear head coverings, the men, they still do today, to keep their hair and their scalp from getting hot. But their face would be open. So the person would come into the guest house and they would, in addition to do the other two things, they would take a little bit of oil and they would put it on the, the forehead. Because that's what, you know, You know, when you go out in the sun, who, who gets the beating first on your body? Is your forehead and the bridge of your nose. So they would take a little bit of oil and they would just put it and... And oh, that's refreshing. You know, the hot, the dryness, it would just kind of soothe the skin and make it. This is just common courtesy. This is, um, you know, hospitality, common hospitality that you would do for somebody that you cared about. Simon didn't do that. But this woman took her life savings. She took her 401k and she spilled it all over Jesus' feet, right? Speaking our language today, right? In our culture. Simon was an ungracious host to reflect his ungracious heart. So some people can fool you, they can do things to make things look good, but for the most part, where our heart is, our actions will be as well. And a, a lot of how somebody, their actions and their mannerisms can reflect what type of person they are inside. He was ungracious not only towards the Lord, but also towards his fellow human beings. There was a problem with his heart. The woman, though, was broken. She was self-deprecating. It was mortifying. She didn't really care about her reputation anymore. She didn't really care about her hair. She didn't care about anything. She just knew that she had to break through the quicksand and take his vine and, and have him pull her out of the mess that she was in. And she would have done anything to get there. Sometimes... Some grow up in a Christian environment. They grow up in a Christian home and they think that they're the 50. Eh, I have five denarii maybe. And it reflects in how they treat others. It reflects in how they treat God. It reflects in their devotion to God because they don't think that they really needed to be forgiven. They're generally a good person and we play this game. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I'm not like the people on TV or social media. And we try to put ourselves in this ridiculous idea of, of a bubble that really is not factual. I'm going to stick with me being the 500. And I don't say that in a false humility way. I'm going to tell you something. I'm seeing, even in ministry, and I'm hearing whether locally, and I don't want to give any details, but um, even ministry leaders and pastors falling into sin. And I think sometimes what happens is they, they become so big in their ministries and Satan just picks them off. You know, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be the target. Because he'll do it with a trial or he'll do it with a temptation. And then these guys think that they're the 50. And then it's like that song from Casting Crowns, It's a Slow Fade. You know what? It's an epidemic. And it's a black eye to Jesus Christ to the rest of the world when somebody gets that well-known and they fall. And not one situation, a pattern, months, years, cover-ups, Somebody finds out. Then it starts, they do damage control. Man, I've seen this so many times. I don't want that to be me. I'm the 500. Not only did I have a lot of sins that the Lord had to die for, for me to have everlasting life, but you know what? I'm still a sinner. I'll stay small. You know, I want to be off the radar, off his radar, Satan's radar. I want to make it to the end and run and finish the race well. Because when you start getting into something like that and it comes out, It's like dominoes. Family, ministry, reputation. And you know what I think of too? When I I see a situation happen, I say, Lord, how would I feel if you shelved me and I couldn't teach anymore? That's another domino. You've seen those videos? Thousands of them. In a few seconds, they're all gone. So, verse 47, last few verses. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Because he was God contained in a human body. <laughs> right? Pretty amazing. Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. For the last part is the outcome forgiveness and peace for this woman for simon i don't know maybe he got saved that day maybe in a month he came back to jesus maybe after the resurrection we don't hear about simon i have no idea what happened to simon for all i know he could have continued to be mired in his self-delusion f eh, i still don't like her you know and the choice is the same for the world Verse 50, he says, your faith has saved you. Repentance and faith go together. Now again, don't get the wrong impression. I mean, I do, I do theology, I do deep Bible study. Um, we, we're very important to find the truth and we don't want to take you know, nice things that people want to believe and force them into the scripture. Does it mean that, that her act of doing that saved her? No. What was beyond or behind the act is what saved her. This is all she knew how to do. So her faith, if we could put up Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. The grace of God, of dying for our sins. Through faith, we believe and trust what Christ did. We, we receive that grace, okay? Um, faith is the vehicle to get to grace, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You know, if you owe the 500 and Jesus forgives the debt, it's not like we say, well, let me work to pay off the 500. It, it's, a, it's a price that can't be paid. Human beings cannot do it. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. We can't put out a mortgage and spread it out over 30 years at 2.66%. <laughs> we can't pay it back. You just can't do it. We do not have the ability. Christ is the one who did it. It's not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. If you give me a gift and I come back in a week and say, here's hundred dollars for your gift, you're gonna get insulted. It's a gift of God. Not of yourselves, or I'm sorry, not of works lest anyone should boast. Everything is in there, religious works. And you see so many religions today trying to work their way into heaven. You ask them, how do you get to heaven? well, I generally have to be a good person and I have to do this and I have to do that and God will accept me. That's not the answer. (laughs) Because for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe, not pay, would believe, would not perish, but have everlasting life. Very important to understand this. She put, what did she do? She put feet on her faith or she put gloves on her faith. She did with her hands and her lips what was in her heart. So what, what she did outwardly was just an extension of what was going on inside of her heart. Important. And you know what's amazing? Now it didn't matter. She could have walked out of that place and gotten sneered at and jeered at. I believe that she received so much from the Lord, it didn't even matter. Do you think that she went back home and into her, her little social circle and people stopped talking about her because she went to Jesus? This might have gone on for decades, but you know, what? at this point, it really didn't matter. And that's the beautiful thing. When we have Christ in our heart, a lot of people want our, we want, and I'm one of them, <laughs> when things are bad, I want the circumstances, Lord, to go away. He doesn't always do that. A lot of times, he works through us in the midst of the circumstances. So this woman probably went back and still got called all these horrible names, but it didn't matter because she was free. She was free. And that's the kind of freedom that the Lord wants us to all have. So who do we identify with more, Simon or the woman? The debtor who owed 50 or the debtor who owed 500? A lot lot in here about second chances, about forgiveness, about God's mercy. It's absolute, but it's also conditional upon a person's repentance. Acts 3.19 says, repent and turn that your sins may be blotted out. It's not like she went back every week and said, oh, I've got to find some more oil, got to do some more hair washing. No. When you're saved, it's a one-time thing. It doesn't mean that she didn't show other devotion to the Lord, but you know, when we come to the cross, it's a one-time thing. It's, it's justification. Just as if I've never sinned, Have you heard that before. And again, forgiveness is fully realized when a person desires to change. I want to change. I I don't want this anymore. I don't want this lifestyle anymore. Does it mean we're going to be perfect? No. It's a process. That's called sanctification. Five years, ten years, fifteen years. As more time goes on, we start to look more like Jesus' character and less like the world or our old lives. And it doesn't matter what anybody says about you at that point. We know that this woman came in in humility and left in peace. And that's what God wants for everyone here to come in humility, to realize that we're sinners, to realize that we need a Savior. He's physically not here to do those, the, those, that kind of thing with, but it's for, for it to be in our heart, to fully realize who we are. Sometimes when a person comes up to receive the Lord, that's an act of humility. They don't know what to expect. The altar call, they come up, they start walking. I don't know what to expect, but that's an act of humility. To come in humility, to leave in peace, is that your desire? To leave in peace. Jesus says, it's not the type of peace that the world gives. The world's peace is conditional. Who you know, what groups you're in. What you can do for somebody else. Temporary peace. The parents shouting at the kids in the house, I just want peace in this house. You know what I'm saying? This is peace throughout all the storms. We've seen it in the, in the, uh, in the Gospels. If that's your desire to leave in peace, then come in humility. Let's pray.
0: You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road,